We're kicking off a brand new message series this week, and we're calling Level Up. And I don't know about you, but right away, it makes me think of video games. I'm sure so many of you are familiar with video games, right? I love, I, I love some video games. And the wild thing is it's a, it's a massive industry. I did some research. Last year alone, the video game industry generated just under $135 billion with a B. It's a lot of money, am I right? What's really wild is this industry hasn't been around for very long. In fact, I'm like a part of that first wave of parents who still play some of the same video game consoles that their kids play, right? How many of you remember Nintendo? Just raise your hand. How many of you had a Nintendo? Yeah? And you played some? Yes? Remember, you can admit it. It's fine. Yeah, like Mario Brothers. Yeah, Duck Hunt. Remember Duck Hunt? With that annoying little dog? How many of you tried to shoot the dog? More than once. <laughs> yeah, Nintendo. Uh, it's funny. It's like, I think I asked my wife for an Xbox One like two years ago for Christmas. And she did it. It was amazing. Yeah, but it hasn't really been around for, for very long. The video game industry didn't take off until like late 1970s. This is when arcade games became popular. That might be more up your alley. How many remember arcade games? Make some noise if you played some time. What were some of your favorites? Donkey Kong. Okay. What else? Pac-Man. Yes. What was the one with the little rollerball? Centipede. Yes. The glory days, spending time at the mall, right? <laughs> Playing some arcade games. Now, I'm going to drop some knowledge on you. You ready for this? One of the games that really helped usher in what they call the golden age of the video arcade was a game called Galaxian. Anybody remember this? Of course you do, right? 1979. What were the 70s like? Were they fun? I'm just kidding. But what made this, I'm just bombing this morning. Come on now. <laughs> but hear, hear me. What made this game so revolutionary, all right, was it was one of the first games to introduce the use of levels. See, before that, games were, were really static. Think Pong. You kind of did the same thing over and over again, right? Didn't, there was no progression to it. But Galaxian, Galaxian had a story, and the story would unfold. And the player would have to go from level to level, and as the game progressed, the levels got more and more difficult. This right here opened the door for this golden age of the arcade game. It was a dynamic game, and this concept of leveling up revolutionized the video game industry. Still, it's one of the things that makes playing video games so enjoyable for people today. And in doing some research on video games, I've learned a lot. There's actually a science behind video game design. You can get a degree at a university now in video game. I mean, this is some intense stuff. And one of the things that I've learned, in case I want to have a career change later in life, right, <laughs> is that in order for a game to stick, to become popular or appealing, the video game designers have to find this balance between it being fun and challenging. It's got to be both. If a game's too fun, people get bored with it and they stop playing it. But if a game's too difficult, people stop playing it because it's not any fun. And so it's got to combine both of these things. And it seems that one of the things that keeps people coming back to playing games is this sense of accomplishment that it brings. Now, there's probably varying degrees of opinion in the room about whether or not playing a video game should feel like an accomplishment, right? 
Some of y'all parents out there would love to get your kids away from the video game so they could actually go and accomplish something that matters. Am I right? So I don't, I don't want to get into an argument about that, okay? But I think what this helps to prove, or at least illustrate, is that as human beings, you and I are like, like hardwired for accomplishment. Right? It's sort of it's like woven into us. We, we all live with this innate sort of longing for growth, for, for change. I would argue we all long to level up. What do you agree with me? We all want to live lives that are headed somewhere, that are, that are going someplace. I mean, who in the world wakes up every day and goes, you know what, I hope today's awful. I hope nothing happens. And sometimes I do say that. <laughs> but no, I mean, we, we all live with this sort of longing, this desire for growth, for transformation, to, to improve ourselves, to, to move forward in our lives. We all long to level up. Are you with me? And here's why I bring that up, because at the core of our faith, there is, of course, the good news about our complete and total forgiveness for all the ways in which we've blown it. We've blown it before, right? Because of Jesus, our sins are taken care of, and that is some good news. But you know what else? There's more good news. There's also the good news about the possibility of transformation, of change, is that we can actually grow. We can level up. In fact, I love this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, the author, a man named Paul, listen to what he says about those of us who have said yes to the saving love of God. According to Paul, you and I are being transformed through the power of the Holy Spirit into the very likeness of Christ with ever-increasing glory. When did you ever think you and glory would be in the same sentence? With the power of the Holy Spirit, the saving love of God, we can be transformed. We can level up. We can be made into the likeness of Christ. I don't know about you, this makes me go, whoa. That's some good news. Wouldn't you agree? And that's really what this series is going to be all about. We're going to be in this really interesting passage, 2 Peter chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, I strongly encourage you to turn there. If you want to use the Bible in your pew in front of you, it's on page 860. But you're going to want to have the text in front of you, whether it's on your phone or whether you're going to use a Bible with actual pages. I can't get over it. i got to have, like, the real thing in front of me. For one, you ever notice how the Bible smells good? You think I'm kidding. Smell it. Go ahead. And they're all, the pages are always really cold to the touch. You ever notice that? That's just getting weird in here. Page 860. But we're going to actually spend this entire series in this passage in 2 Peter chapter 1. It is loaded with insights about what it means to take advantage of everything that's been offered to us in Jesus Christ. And I, I just want to reemphasize this. You know, the gospel isn't just about what happens to us after we die. It doesn't involve that, thank goodness. But the gospel is also about what's available to us right now, about this life. And because of Jesus, you and I don't have to fear death. Amen. But we also don't have to be afraid of life either. We can change. We can be transformed. And this passage is really all about that. It's a passage that I'm, I'm a huge fan of. In fact, I even wrote a book about it, if you're interested. It's a book called Forward. Um, and a lot of that's going to be uh, in and out of this entire series. But at the heart of this passage, there's a list of seven virtues. Lists goodness, knowledge, self-control. How many of us would benefit from a little more self-control in our lives? Yeah? Lent is over. Some of us, whew, 
We went to town on some chocolate cake, am I right? Perseverance, mutual affection, and love. I think it's so important for me to say from the beginning, this is not a list of what God wants from us. It's really a list of what God wants for us. And what we're going to do throughout this series is take each one of these virtues one week at a time. And we're going to unpack what it looks like to incorporate these things into our, into our life. But first, let's sort of familiarize ourselves with the text. Can we do that? So I'm going to invite you to stand right now. I'm going to read to you this passage of Scripture. 2 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3. Let this sink in. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. Whew. Having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason... Make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Now, come on now. That is a passage of Scripture. I mean, seriously. Whew. Y'all should be saying, whew. I mean, it's obvious this author has very high expectations, wouldn't you agree, for what's possible for us, for what's been made available to us in Jesus Christ. I would call this leveling up, wouldn't you agree? Man, it's some rich stuff. Let's just hit a couple of the highlights. Verse 3. The author says that God's divine power has given us everything we need to live a godly life. That Greek word for everything, just to let you know, you know what it means? Everything. Everything. You don't lack anything. If you've said yes to Jesus and the Spirit of God has begun to work in your life, you have everything you need to live a godly life, to live a beautiful life. Wow. Verse 4, this is the one that really moves me. Verse 4, author says that through God's precious promises that you and I can participate in the divine nature. Again, when did you ever think you and divinity would be in the same sentence, same breath? It's pretty wild. I mean, this passage is rich, and we're going to spend the next six weeks unpacking it. But let's just, let's just go ahead and say it up front. The expectation is that we level up. You hearing that? Notice this. You know, we good Protestants love to emphasize faith, 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 faith. And we should. We're going to get, get to that here in a little bit. But notice the author says we're supposed to add to our faith. Your faith is not easy believism. It's not a matter of just showing up here once a week and punching in and punching out. You're supposed to grow. And he even goes on to say that if we have these values in increasing measure... Increasing measure, which means we're supposed to have more tomorrow than we do today. We're supposed to be a different type of person than we were a year ago. There's a certain trajectory that the Spirit of God invites us into in our lives. And I just think we all need to wrestle with, are we experiencing that? I mean, are we, are we a healthier version of ourselves than we were a year ago? I mean, we can all admit we got room to level up. Are you with me? 
Got room to love. And if you're anything like me, all this sounds great. All this sounds wonderful, doesn't it? As words on a page. But when it comes to actually showing up in my life, oh, it's not something that I really experience on a, on a very regular basis. I mean, if you're anything like me, I feel like I live with this sense that there's a better me possible. You ever feel that way? It's like I know there's got to be a better me out there. It's like, it's like there's this person that I, that I feel like I could be, this person that I feel like I maybe should be, and then there's like who I actually am. Yeah? And sometimes we live with this sense of frustration, don't we? We just can't seem to turn the corner. We just can't seem to get there. I mean, right about now is when the wheels start to fall off for some of us with our New Year's resolutions. Am I right? Right about now, the gym gets empty. Spring break's over. We're going back to our stretchy pants, right? But no, let's just get honest. I mean, this sounds great, this idea of leveling up, participating in the divine nature, right, uh, of becoming a better version of ourselves. It sounds wonderful in theory, but in practice, most of the time, we just get really frustrated with ourselves. We find ourselves getting caught up on the same, same issues, same as problems, am I right? Giving into the same fears, same insecurities. So this can be really hard to buy into. We love to hear the preacher man talk about it, but when it comes from Monday to Saturday, actually putting it into practice, man, it's hard. Perhaps the hardest thing about leveling up is actually believing that it's possible. Am I talking to anybody? This is exactly why the author lists uh, the first virtue as goodness. Y'all say goodness. Let's go back to verse 5. The author says to us, for this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. Let's unpack this word a little bit. The word for goodness in the original language of the New Testament is this ancient Greek word arete, and it's often translated as virtue. But here the author, this is a word that was really popular in the author's surrounding culture. This was not a real big, big biblical word for the author. He's borrowing it from something that he sees in the culture around him, right? Now, even though at this time the world is ruled by the Romans, it's still greatly influenced by Greek thinking, Greek philosophy. And arete was really at the heart of Greek philosophy and Greek education. And Greek thought arete was known as the golden mean, and it was the most prized virtue of all Greek thought, and it was the goal of all Greek education. One translator, or one scholar translates it as the highest quality of moral excellence, of all excellence. How do you like the sound of that? The bottom line is, what is goodness? Goodness is humanity running on all cylinders. I mean, goodness is as good as it gets. I mean, it's somebody fully alive. It's humanity wide open and running on, on all cylinders. This is what goodness is. Now, we're, we're going to get to some of the more practical virtues in the, in the next several weeks. The, the virtues from here on out, man, they're really practical, super helpful. But goodness is really where it starts because goodness isn't necessarily practical. Instead, it has everything to do with up here, with what we believe is possible. Sort of where we set our gaze, what our expectations are for ourselves. And according to this author, our sights should be set on goodness that we can experience the highest quality of life possible. That's what's made available to us in Jesus Christ. Now, of course, this echoes a lot of what we've already said, but I feel like we have to park here for a bit. Because, I mean, I'm telling you, this I feel this in my bones 
I've, just, I've discovered this from, from time spent with people, with folks. And one of the things that I believe is that many of us, we struggle to experience the reality of our salvation. I think that's an important phrase. The reality of your salvation. So you, you, you can be saved in one sense, but you're also being saved in another. I mean, you can be saved and go into heaven, but you can be a miserable human being. How alive are you? That's what I'm talking about. That word for saved that, that often shows up in the New Testament, it, it can also mean to be made well, to be whole, to be healthy. So understand what I mean when I, when I say reality of your salvation. And many of us, we struggle to experience that. Not because we don't have a big enough picture of God. But I'd argue because it's, it's because we don't have a big enough picture of who God thinks we could be. You know, sadly, this comes from all these sort of re religious voices we have in our heads. These religious voices that sort of sound like, man, the only way to respond to a good and holy God is to feel really bad about yourself. And some of us grew up in churches like this, am I right? Or man, it was like the, the message you constantly heard was, God is really good, God is really great, and you, well, you're a worm. You're awful. And like, like, unless you were feeling bad about that all the time, then you weren't really getting it. And so people kind of develop this weird self-righteousness around, you know, how, how aware they are about how bad they are. And we're walking around like Eeyore, you know? But it's, it's just weird to me. In fact, I got an email from a guy years ago, but I've kept it. <laughs> we keep some emails, folks. I got, a, I got a whole folder of these things. But in the email, this was really long, and this guy was just letting me have it because he didn't think I talked about sin enough. That was, his, that was his long email. It was really long, very complicated, but that was kind of the heart of it. I didn't talk about sin enough. He thought it was my job as the preacher to make sure people knew how sinful they were. Tell me something. Do you need me to tell you that? You live with yourself. Am I right? I mean, we, we might put up a front sometimes, but I got a feeling that all of us, if we were really— we know that. But that's what his, his thought was. I mean, he went on and on. You need to make sure people walk out of that, out of that sanctuary every single week feeling bad about their sin. And it just bothered me for some reason. And I want you to hear me say this. I believe sin's a big deal. It's something that we need to take very seriously because it's destructive. But I, but I also have come to realize this. I don't believe it's the point of our story. And I don't believe it's the point of God's story either. Well, let's just think about this for a moment. Where does the Bible begin? Where does God's story begin? It's not a trick question. Genesis 1 and 2, right? What's the picture we're painted in Genesis 1 and 2? What does God call it? Good, right? It's this beautiful picture of, of human beings living together beautifully, living with God beautifully, and everything being as it should be. It's wonderful. That's where our story starts. Genesis 1 and 2. Now, of course, Genesis chapter 3 happens, and things sort of go off the rails there. Things get bad. Sin enters the picture. But you know what the good news is? We just celebrated this last weekend. The Bible, the story doesn't end in Genesis chapter 3. Somebody say amen to that. The story ends in Revelation 21 and 22. If you want to turn there, you know what the heading in your Bible probably says? Eden restored. Once again, it's this picture of everything being as it should be, of human beings living together in such a beautiful way, living with God in such a beautiful way. Sin is not where our story starts, and it isn't where our story ends. you got to hear this, because there's some people who love to make the story start in Genesis chapter 3. That's where it starts for them. 
you're sinful, you're evil, you're awful. My thing is, when, when you make sin the point of the story, you know what the gospel becomes? The gospel is just about telling people what they aren't. You're not good enough. You're not worth it. And I'm sorry, but that has the power to change absolutely nothing. But instead, when we step back and realize that the point of the story isn't sin, this is not where our story ends, and it's not where our story begin, or, or it begins, you know, you know what the gospel then becomes? The truth about who you really are. The truth about what you actually are. And I've found that's got the power to change everything. I mean, the real tragedy of, of the human condition isn't just that we're bad. We are. We are. We get it. The real tragedy is that we weren't, we weren't supposed to be. We weren't created to be this way. But sadly, so many people just embrace that as sort of who they are and what their life's about. But I believe Jesus, man, Jesus points us away from this. We see it over and over and over again in the Gospels. I mean, usually when Jesus heals somebody, he says something to them. Almost every single healing, I've researched this, almost every single healing, Jesus makes a point to say to the person, your faith has saved you. Your faith has made you well. In fact, my favorite encounter with Jesus, Mark chapter 5, this is my favorite encounter with Jesus in all the Gospels. There's this woman, we're told, who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. Right? It's a complicated medical condition, but we're told that she's exhausted all of her resources to find a remedy, and things hadn't gotten better, they've only gotten worse. Now, in her culture, she would have been seen as unclean. She would have been an outcast. She wouldn't have been to be able to be around people. Had to live out in the fringes. But she's heard about this Jesus. And she's heard about what he's been able to do. And sort of what he's like. And so she thinks in her mind, if I can just, if I can just sneak my way through that crowd, and I can reach out and just touch the edge of his cloak, I know he'll heal me. I'll be healed. I know it. And so that's what she, she decides to do. Jesus comes into town. There's this huge crowd of people. She's got to hide because if anybody sees her in the crowd, she's in trouble. She's not supposed to be around people because she's unclean. But anyway, she doesn't care. She sneaks her way through all these people, and she's able to reach out her hand and just barely touch the edge of his cloak, and she's healed. She feels it immediately. heals her. But Jesus feels it too. And so he stops what he's doing. Now, keep in mind, he's surrounded by people, people everywhere going nuts. And Jesus stops, and he asks the question, who touched me? Of course, the disciples are like, are you crazy? Everybody's touching you right now, right? What are you talking about who touched you? Jesus is like, no, who touched me? It's because he knew something more significant needed to happen that morning than just a physical healing. He keeps insisting, who touched me? And this woman sort of feels it in her, in her, in her soul. There's no way she's getting out of this. So she runs up to Jesus, she falls at her feet in front of him, in front of everybody. And I love what Jesus says to her in that moment, in front of all those people who she had lived sort of on the outside of. She says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go and be free from your suffering. Now let's just think about this for a moment. Why did Jesus do that? Why was he so adamant in making sure he got to say those words to that woman? Was it just to prove to her that he's the one that healed her? I mean, if, that, if that's all this was about, was her realizing how powerful Jesus is and how lowly she was, if that was all, the point of the whole thing, he could have let her get away. 
She would have known that, right? She touched Jesus. She got healed. She could sneak. She'd know that the rest of her life. I don't think that's what Jesus would want to do, though. I believe this is an act of empowerment on Jesus' part. He wants her to know that her faith played an active role in all of this, that there is something in her that is unbelievably powerful, and that when her faith connects with God's power, anything can happen. Change can take place in her life. This is Jesus calling her daughter, lifting her chin, letting her know that there was actually some greatness in her. Now, I think it's important for us not to read into this too much, right, and to think that whenever there's a, a prayer isn't answered or somebody isn't healed, that is a lack of faith. Sometimes things happen the way we pray. Sometimes they don't. It doesn't always mean that there's a lack of faith. It's a mystery. We don't really understand it. But I think the one thing we can pull away from this text is that Jesus believes that you and I can live a really beautiful life. I believe Jesus wants you to know that this morning. Is that when your faith, as small as it may feel sometimes, when your faith connects with the power of God, unbelievable things can happen. And I believe that it is absolutely essential for you and I to place our faith in Jesus Christ. Hear me when I say that. Nothing of eternal significance can happen until we do that. But I think it's also important for us to realize that Jesus actually has some faith in us. Jesus believes you, turn to your neighbor and say you, believes that you, you, in all your sleepless nights, and all your dark and dirty secrets, and all the ways you've blown it and you've failed and you've let people down that you love, Despite all of that, you know what Jesus says, wants to say to you? Your faith can make you well. You can live a beautiful life. And I got a feeling there's some people in here this, this morning that needs to hear that. And really, there's two questions that I want to ask in light of all of this. And the first one might sound kind of silly, but we got to ask it. And it's this, do you want this? I mean, do you actually want to experience goodness or rate day? Do you want to experience the highest quality of life? Do you want to experience God's own goodness? Is that what you want? Because I've found that even though this beautiful life is made available to us in Jesus Christ, we often settle for less, don't we? We often settle for less. Maybe there's, that's the most helpful definition of what sin actually is. You know what sin is? Sin is all the ways you, you and I, we settle for less. We already talked about at the beginning that, that we live with this kind of this sort of longing for growth and for change in our lives. We, we live with this sense that there's a better us possible. But that often manifests itself in like a, a lump in your throat, doesn't it? Or kind of ache in your belly. It's like, ugh. And we don't want to feel that. We don't like feeling that kind of stuff. And so what we often do is we settle instead. We just get reachy. We indulge. We go back to that bad thing, that bad person. And it's all in this effort, this attempt to not feel that ache. Not feel that longing. You were created for it, though. Maybe for you this morning, where all this needs to start is maybe some honesty. Getting honest about some way in which you've settled for less. You've gotten too comfortable with something in your life that you've told yourself isn't a problem. But if you, your most honest self would admit it's a problem. Maybe what needs to happen this morning is some confession. You need to get real about that. Call it what it is. Put some words to it. Name it. Because from here, if we're going to get anywhere, it's got to start there. It's got to start with some honesty. 
Second question I think we need to ask is, is do we believe it? We do we believe it's possible? Do we even believe it's possible to level up, to grow, to be changed? Because it's so easy, isn't it, for those voices of condemnation and guilt to drown out the voice of God in our lives? Isn't it? Y'all got, I, I, I don't know about you, but I feel like I have these tapes that play in my brain. Like these tapes, these voices that tell me sort of who I am and what's true about me. And if we're not careful, these voices can get the best of us. I got a friend of mine, man, I hope he's listening. But he like lives with this, this fear, this constant fear that no matter how hard he tries, he's going to end up just like his dad. That's a hard thing to admit. The last person you want to be like on planet Earth is your father, but he lives with this fear. That no matter how hard he tries, no matter how hard he works, no matter how much distance he gets away, it's just going to happen to him too. Anybody live with that? Or I got another friend of mine, and, and, I, and I watch her go from one unhealthy relationship to the next. She tell, tells me she wants to, you know, have a healthy relationship and marry this really great guy. But I, I, I watch her go to these men. These men constantly, they, they, they don't treat her like that. They take advantage of her. And it's, it's weird, because, and I told her this before, it's like she believes in her core that that's actually what she deserves. She won't let herself win. She won't let herself be happy. Because something's convinced her she doesn't deserve it. Or for a lot of us in this room, man, we, we, we struggle with some sort of addiction. High percentage of us, and we tend to go real quick to, you know, to, to controlled substances or narcotics when we think about that. What about food? Come on now. Man, it's a struggle that owns us. And sometimes it can feel so, so big that it, like the idea of it ever not being there feels impossible. Am I speaking to anybody? I think if we're going to get anywhere, one of the things we have to do is, man, ask God, give us the strength and the courage to believe that it can change. That we can level up, that we can move past this, we can move beyond it. Because experiencing change begins with trusting that in Jesus all things are possible. I mean, earlier in verse 5, the author says, just before listing the virtues, verse 5, the author says, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. Faith, my friends, is where leveling up begins. It's what opens the door to all the other virtues that come next in this passage. The gospel doesn't begin as something that we do. Hear me when I say that. It doesn't begin that way. It most certainly gets there. But the gospel, instead, it starts as a life-giving announcement about what God has already done. Last weekend, we celebrated the fact that the tomb is empty. That Jesus has defeated everything. Death itself. And now a whole new world of possibility is available to us. If Jesus can overcome the cross and overcome death, Jesus can overcome anything. And so can you. New life is possible. And so in light of this, we've got to be in the habit of preaching the gospel to ourselves every single day, a thousand times a day, if we have to. It's like I was just thinking the other day. I was walking around, and I was thinking about the fact that for a huge chunk of human history, people have believed that the earth is flat. Now, there's still some people around today who like to insist the earth is still flat. And there's some really entertaining people to talk to, and there's some great documentaries you can watch. But at some point along the way, there was a shift. Human beings discovered the earth wasn't flat, 
but it was in fact round. It was a globe. And this discovery opened up a whole new world of possibility. Travel. And they used to think that if you got too close to the edge of the world, you're going to fall off of it. But then they realized you can actually get from one side to the other. And I was actually, this is what I do. I was just walking around. I was thinking about like how mind-blowing that had to be for people. Right? You're walking around thinking this is just sort of disc, and all of a sudden you realize it's not. It's round. It's like a, I'm walking on a ball. This is weird, right? I mean, it would have been huge. It would have been mind-blowing. And, and here's what I thought about. The world didn't suddenly change. Like when we started thinking that way, right? The world didn't suddenly go from being flat to being round. The world was round the entire time. What changed? It's how we thought. It's what we believed. You see, the gospel isn't about us trying to believe something that isn't already true. Lord Jesus, I pray that this sinks in right now. Faith is about us surrendering to what is already true. To who we actually are in Jesus Christ. Simplest definition of the gospel. You know what it is? It's a disruptive announcement about who we actually are. About what's actually true about us. And I use that word disruptive because it often confronts all the lies we believe about ourselves. It disrupts all of that. And a life of faithfulness is about learning to live in practice, in flesh and blood, learning to live as this person that God keeps insisting we already are. This is what the Apostle Paul means in the book of Philippians when he says, let us live up to what we've already obtained. It's already true. The real question is, do you believe it?